0: Well, that's what we're gonna be looking at here this morning, who Jesus is, and uh, to do that here, we're gonna be looking at God's word that tells us a whole lot, actually everything, uh, about who Jesus is, and so if you wanna turn in a Bible to the book of John, that's where we'll be, John chapter 12, and uh, if you are newer with us, uh, my name is Brian, one of the pastors here, and look forward to looking at God's word, uh, both in here in the West Auditorium, as well as in the East Auditorium, Lovington, and those worshiping with us online. And uh, really, as we jump into who Jesus is in the book of John, really, uh, if you're maybe newer with us, that's what we've been focusing on over the last several weeks. Who is this Jesus? Uh, And really, in an effort to be in good company with pretty much the whole history of the church, that uh, for, for centuries, it has been the practice of the church in this particular season leading up to Easter, where they give and we give extra special attention to not only who Jesus is, but you could say more practically who he is to us and how we are relating to him in our lives. And so we are going to continue that here today, really in what you could say is the pinnacle of uh, this uh, season leading up to Easter. Some, depending on your tradition, might call it Lent, uh, but uh, across the world in Christendom we call this week Holy Week. Holy Week is the, uh, the week that celebrates Jesus' final week here on earth, starting with today, Palm Sunday, uh, which is what we're going to examine here in our in the scriptures. Uh, but then from there we move through the week to Good Friday uh, where uh, we recognize Jesus dies and we celebrate in communion uh, His sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sin. And so we'll have a special service uh, for that here on Friday, four identical service times you can be a part of. And then Saturday and Sunday, we'll celebrate uh, the, the resurrection from that death in our Easter services together. And as you uh, make your plans for your Easter services and all of that, um, we're asking you to bring uh, two things. Um, actually, one is things and the other is, is human beings. Uh, but the things are actually um, those little personal hygiene items uh, that you take from hotels swearing, yeah, I'll use these, but never do. Um, They are uh, an opportunity to bless our Oasis Day Center for the community who could use those, um, and so, it's amazing the impact that just thousands of people coming here on Easter, bringing those little personal hygiene travel size things uh, can make in our community. So please bring those things with you. And then also bring some human beings. Uh, there's these little invitation cards in your programs that you received on your way into worship, and uh, you can either literally use them or just let them serve as a reminder to uh, invite a family member, a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor to hear the the most important story uh, that they'll ever hear, and that is the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection that gives us the gift of forgiveness and the gift to be risen to new life ourselves, uh, both in this life and for all of eternity. So that's what we have to look forward to here this week, and so we kick off that uh, Holy Week together looking at Palm Sunday uh, with uh, this story that we're gonna see here in Scripture. And so I'm gonna read to you um, this setting where we have Jesus being worshipped as a king. That's what's about to happen, and um, so we're gonna look at that experience in John chapter 12, starting in verse 12. We got Jesus coming in Jerusalem and the people worshipping him as a king, and what's going on there, okay? Here's how it goes down. John chapter 12, verse 12, it says that the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, and so they took palm branches, it says, as we saw the kids waving palm branches. In fact, in Matthew chapter 21, it says that the people, they laid cloaks out for Jesus, uh, for him to kind of enter into the city on. Uh, So we've got palm branches and cloaks laid before him. And the people, they went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, Uh, which if you sing that word, that really just means we worship you. They're saying to Jesus, Hosanna, we worship you as our king. And so they say, Hosanna, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus, then it says in verse 14, he found a donkey and sat on it, as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And uh, there we have, in just a few verses, uh, the story, if you will, of what's taking place on what we celebrate each year in this Palm Sunday. And as we read that, as I read that, I wonder, like, how do we get to this point? Like, where do we get to, from wherever Jesus was and is and what he's up to, to the point where he's being worshipped as a king? Uh, what's, what's really the, the, the scene going on here in Jesus' story? And so, to help us understand what's happening on this Palm Sunday, um, I want you to take a look at this movie clip that I think will provide some clarity on what's taking place with Jesus on Palm Sunday. Give your attention to the screens. Attention, attention please. Ambassador Endurant has arrived and will now address Starfighter Command personnel. As you all know, we have been on a desperate quest. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse oh, me. Ah! Oh, I, I, I should, I should crush you to gore and dust. I'm sorry. Uh, um, <clears throat> it was an accident. I, I, I didn't mean to step on your, uh, whatever that is. If I may continue, our forces. You don't trifle with have the, the Bugatti. They love to fight. That's why they're perfect for this war. Did you say war? But of course. Why else do you think you're here? You were recruited by the Star League to defend the... To defend the the frontier against Xur and the Kodan Armada. Okay. So, you don't have any idea what it is you just saw. And in all candor, neither do I. Uh, in fact, I asked the uh, the video team, hey, can you just find me the most obscure, out of context sci-fi scene and show like a minute of it? Uh, and that's what they pulled off. And the reason I show you that is because if I'm honest and I think about kind of step outside of this Palm Sunday thing that maybe if you've grown up around church you're kind of used to, that if you really think about it, it kind of feels like we've walked into, like this, like this movie, it's like walking into uh, the middle of a movie where you're not sure what's happened who's doing what or what's about to happen, and you're, it's kind of obscure, and you're not really sure what's going on. I think if we're honest, to take a step back from the Palm Sunday story, there's kind of that same feeling that we should feel because, I mean, it's cute and all that the little kids come and they wave their palm branches, but if you just think about it, like, why are they doing that? Like, that's, that's kind of weird. And what's with, you know, Jesus and a donkey? Like, what's so important? It's like, it, it almost sounds like the beginning of a bad joke. You know, Jesus walks in on a donkey. It's just like what's going on in this story that we just act like we know what's going on. So um, what I want to try to do here today is kind of enter into what really would be otherwise obscure without some understanding of what's happening prior. In fact, if it helps you feel better um, we're in actually good company with uh, Jesus' original disciples, as it says in verse 16 of our passage. It says that they too, at first, the disciples, they, they did not understand all of this. They didn't understand what was happening. Um, they probably looked a lot, well, I tell you, I've watched the clip, the first service, but then the last couple of services, I've been watching you all, and it's just this look of like, I'm sure there's a point to this. No, no, and the, 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 your eyebrows just get more and more furrowed as the clip went on, it's a uh It's funny for me from where I'm sitting. And so uh, it it doesn't make sense. And so how do we kinda get into what's happening in this Palm Sunday situation where they're worshiping Jesus as a king, they're throwing their cloaks out on the ground, they're waving palm branches, he's riding in on a donkey, um, and, and bring some understanding to all this. What is it that it seems that the disciples come to later understand that was communicated about Jesus prior to all this? And so that's what we want to look at. How do we get to this Palm Sunday where we worship Jesus as king so that we understand why it is that we worship him as a king? As we really wrap up this series, Jesus is looking at Jesus as a king. And so that's just where we're headed. If I were to kind of give us a roadmap map here today, um, we want to understand how do we worship or why do we worship Jesus as the king? Okay, and heads up. My handwriting has not gotten any better with any of the services, so sorry. All right. So what we're going to do here is we're going to look at really this understanding of how do we worship the king from Genesis all the way to Revelation throughout the story of Scripture and still get you out in time for lunch it uh, will be my goal. And so what we're going to see in this understanding of worship throughout the story of the Bible, of who Jesus is as king, is that in each instance we have, uh, you could say, a, a place of worship as well as a people who worship, okay? That's the story, whoops, why did I quit going? I started going that way, okay. Uh, a, A place of worship and a people of worship, okay? And so the story starts off in the book of Genesis, where God creates everything, the heavens, the earth, and in the beginning it says that everything is good, and so he creates this place where he puts the first man and woman called the Garden of Eden, and in that place, uh, the relationship between Adam and Eve and God, it is unbroken, it is perfect, All's well, and so what we're gonna see in this kind of people connection to God is that um, there's gonna be, uh, really, in this case, there's no need for what you might call a mediator, okay? They have a perfect relationship with God, and so the idea that anyone would have to be a connection between people, and God uh, is na; it's non-applicable. Okay, so everything's good, everything's perfect until it's not. Okay, until you could say sin fractures the connection between the people of God and the place of worship, and so there's this there's this breakdown. Sin. Uh, Breaks our connection, our relationship with God. And then pretty much from then on, uh, throughout the book of Genesis, there really is no place of worship. Um, you see God revealing himself in a couple special circumstances. He does so to Abraham, saying, hey, I'm going to make your, you know, your offspring and your nation great. You're going to be more numerous than the sand on the seashore. Uh, later on, he reveals himself to Jacob, who he calls Israel, and then his descendants are Israel, God's people. And so... Um, really no place of worship, until we get to the end of the book of Genesis, and we move into Exodus, and it says at the beginning of Exodus, second book of the Bible, that God's people, the Israelites, are are too numerous. God honors his, his deal where he makes them more numerous than the sand on the seashore, and the Egyptians say, no bueno, this is not good. There's too many and they fear an uprising and so they uh, enslave, the Egyptians enslave uh, God's people. And then you have Moses on the scene in Exodus saying, let my people go, let my people go. And so Moses uh, is on the scene and in the midst of all that, as they're freeing his people, and they go out into the wilderness, God instructs Moses to construct a place of worship. Okay, let's get worship back uh, on the table here for the people, and so he tells them to construct a tabernacle. Okay, and a tabernacle is more or less uh, just a fancy tent. You know, it probably wouldn't have looked all too different from like a tent, outdoor tent deal, like at a graduation party or something. And this particular tabernacle, would have had, or these tents would have had uh, various rooms with an inner room that was called uh, the holy place or the holy of holies, uh, where the presence of God would come and dwell once a year. And so the reality of this, with the presence of God, the place of worship is remember we've got this going on. We've got sin, and so sin uh, separates us. Our imperfect sin separates us from a sinless God. And so what God sets up is a mediator, uh, a go-between, the people and God called a priest. And so once a year, the the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, and the word atone, it just means uh, to cover, okay? And so he would go and cover the sins of the people, making it okay uh, in this unique circumstance for the people to worship God, to worship and have a relationship with God, okay? And so you couldn't just waltz right in, it was once a year kinda deal. From there we move forward through more of the Old Testament and you get to uh, King David, greatest king that uh, Israel's ever known. And uh, David's son Solomon constructs what's called the temple. Uh, This grand temple in Jerusalem which uh, serves as really a, a place of worship for centuries for God's people as well as people from all over the world. They come from all over the world to on pilgrimages to the temple uh, to, to worship God. It's uh, essentially the presence of God moves from the tabernacle to the temple. In 1 Kings chapter eight, Solomon gives this prayer of dedication and it says then the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Like there's a smoke and, and it shows that God's presence is there. But when it comes to the people, you can't just waltz into the holy of holies into the temple to go worship God. No, we still have uh, the priest in play where, on the Day of Atonement, once a year, a priest goes in and uh, covers the sin of the people so that they can have a worship relationship with God. And that pretty much takes us through uh, the end of the Old Testament, uh, or you might even call it the First Testament uh, of the Bible. And then from there, we're getting closer to Palm Sunday, I promise, uh, we go into the New Testament where we get the books Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which give us the story of Jesus. And I need to go find my notes cuz I've just been going after it here without any notes. All right? And so Jesus comes, and here's what it says about Jesus who shows up on the scene. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, catch this. It says that God God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus. That God dwells, okay, so we've got this dwelling place, and now we move from a tent to a temple to literally the presence of God, who God is, dwells in Jesus himself. He is the dwelling place of God. Interestingly, it says in uh, the situation that Jesus is against some of his adversaries, uh, the religious leaders of the day, uh, in John chapter two, uh, Jesus says to them, he says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Destroy, and they're thinking, you know, the adversaries are thinking about the temple, right? And they say to him, destroy this temple. It took 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But it says, Jesus says, but the temple he was speaking about was his body. He was speaking about him being the temple, and what he's talking about is what we celebrate on Holy Week, that on Good Friday, this temple... Jesus will be destroyed, but on the third day, the temple will be raised, he'll be raised to new life. That's what we celebrate in Good Friday and in Easter, okay? And so Jesus is the (laughs) temple. Jesus is literally the dwelling place of God, and it says in John chapter one that he then made his dwelling among us. He made his dwelling among us, his people. And then from there, His dwelling, the dwelling place of God, his dwelling place among his people. How do we get connected to Jesus? Well, catch this. Hebrews chapter four, it says this, that therefore, since we have, it says, a great high priest, since we have a great high priest, one who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Because we have a great high priest, we have a great mediator, we have the connection to God in Jesus. In other words, Jesus is God and Jesus is our connection to God because Jesus is God. It's a beautiful reality of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished for us as people to be able to worship him. And it's in this understanding that when we, you know, maybe, okay, what's going on on Palm Sunday? Why would we worship him as a king? Then we realize, okay, because of this red line, because of our brokenness, we don't get to have a relationship with God. But oh, wow, because Jesus came as God in the flesh, as a mediator between us and God, erasing our sin as an atonement, sacrificial atonement, the covering of our sin, we can now have a relationship with the God of the universe? Let me get my palm branches, let me get my cloak and throw it out like a red carpet for Jesus to come into because he is worthy as the king who wasn't just the king who lorded over us but a king who sacrificed himself so that we could have a worship relationship with the king of the universe through what Jesus has done. Okay, so Jesus does that and now we get to what you might say is present time. Jesus, during Holy Week, in the middle of that week, he's meeting with his disciples and he tells his disciples, he's like, hey, I'm gonna go away. And his disciples are like, you can't go away. And Jesus assures them, no, it is good. It says this in the Bible, I'm not making it up. John chapter 16, he says, very truly I tell you, it is good that I am going away. Unless I go away, Jesus says, the advocate or the Holy Spirit We'll get there, there we go, all right. The Holy Spirit will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And so Jesus sends, his Holy Spirit, and so that's what happens at the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He said, hey, I'm gonna send my spirit, and then from there, we move into the book of Acts, which is the beginning of the church, and Jesus said back in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, hey, Peter, on this rock, I'm gonna build my church, and he's gonna build his church as the dwelling place of who the Holy Spirit will be at work in us. That's you and me as the church, and then from there, it says that um, we Peter says this actually, Who he, you know, Peter starts the church in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit comes, the church starts, and then Peter later says this to us as his church, check this out. First Peter two, four through five says, as you, as you and I, as you come to him, the living stone, okay, Jesus is the living stone building the church, rejected by human hands, okay, the cross shows people's rejection of Jesus, but chosen by God and precious to him. It says that you, This is us. You also are like living stones. You are being built up into a spiritual house, AKA the church, to be, it says, catch this, a holy priesthood. You are a priesthood. You have been built into a priesthood to, it says, offer spiritual sacrifices, which is to worship uh, and be acceptable through Jesus Christ, that you as the church have the access to God to worship him directly through the mediator, Jesus Christ, and we have the responsibility and opportunity as priests to mediate other opportunities for other people to get to worship God. That's why we tell you to invite people to Easter, because you are priests who are mediating and making a way for people to worship the king, that you and I, we get to do this. And then fast forward to the end of the book of um, uh, the, at the end of the New Testament, we get to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and it says, uh, behold, behold, I make, so this is the future. This is where we live now, um, and this is where we're headed. This is what we had to look forward to, the book of Revelation, that behold, I make all things new. I make everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true, and he said to me, it is done. done. Okay, this is the end of all things. This is, this is how it's all gonna go down in the end. It is done, God says, I am the alpha, this is Jesus, I am the alpha and the omega, I am the beginning and the end. And it's the time when he comes back, makes all things new, and we go back to who's gonna be the mediator between our relationship with God? Not applicable. When Jesus returns again, we'll be in a perfect relationship with him where sin is removed and all is made well, good, and right because behold, he makes all things new. And so when we realize the truth of this is when we say, oh yeah, I'll worship him, I'll get the palm branches out, I'll lay out my cloak as a red carpet and I will worship the king of kings who died so that I could have a relationship with the king of kings, the God of the universe. Okay, so how are we doing on time? Okay, we're still going to lunch. It's looking good. All right, so as I was thinking about this and uh, the implications, like, okay, this is pretty obvious. Because of this, we get to worship. God, we get to worship. Um, I was thinking about a conversation I had um, with a friend of mine, and this this, this verse that, that came to my mind, it says this, that, Uh, Jesus during his ministry in John chapter four, he says that there's a time coming when it comes to worship. He said there is a time coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father, it says, in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks, okay? There's a time coming and is now the case when we will worship both in spirit and in truth, in the truth of all of this, and what does that worship look like? Well, we don't necessarily bring palm branches out every weekend to worship or lay out our coats on the ground, uh, but it says in Ephesians five nineteen, a letter to a church that, quote, we, uh, through the singing of psalms, of hymns, of spiritual songs, it says to make music from your heart to the Lord. And so that's what we spent a considerable amount of our time doing uh, here already this morning, and we do each weekend here in the context of worship. It says in Hebrews 2, twelve, that in the assembly, in the gathering, we will sing your praises. And as I thought about this verse, and I started to allude to earlier, I thought of a conversation I had with a buddy of mine. Um, it's a, a buddy in the life of the church who we were actually um, at... Uh, some kids' ball practices, and uh, we were leaning on the fence, just, you know, chatting. He was just sharing how much he, I mean, all good stuff. He was sharing about how he appreciated the church and, you know, what it's meant to him and his family. And then when he was talking about kind of the hour together on a Sunday morning, if you will, he said, you know, I really I really enjoy uh, being at the church, but if I'm honest, you know, if you guys decided at some point that you would just, like, skip the whole singing thing I'd be okay with that. And as I thought about that, it took me a minute to kind of process what it is he was really trying to say. He wasn't saying he doesn't appreciate what's being said or what's being sung or what we're doing or the worship of God. He was just really saying, I just don't like to sing. I don't like to sing kind of in public. I don't like, uh, this. it's just not who I am. I'm not this kind of guy who's, who's gonna sing out in, in public. I'm, I'm certainly not that kind of guy who's gonna like, you know, kind of worship with like my, my hands and my head and my shoulders, knees and toes. Like that's just, that's just not who I am. And as I thought about that, you know, I thought, you know, he's probably not the only one who honestly feels that way here in this setting. Like, if you're honest with yourself, like, yeah, if we skip the singing, I probably wouldn't email the pastor about it. Like, it'd be okay with me. And, and I can be honest with you in the sense that I actually kind of get where you're coming from. I, I get it in that naturally, I'm probably more of an an introverted person and not an expressive person. I know that doesn't seem like true right now, uh, but that's not who I'm, I'm naturally wired to be. And uh, this becomes no... More true than really during this time in our worship services, where uh, on a regular basis we'll have what's called prayer time, um, where we have an opportunity with uh, pastors and leaders from the church. If you have a prayer request, that we will pray with you right here in the context of worship. And so, what happens in real time is for a large portion of that time during uh, the worship, uh, I'm not actually praying with somebody. I'm, I'm really just kinda here up front, uh, worshiping with you all. But what I realize is that at six foot three, my gangly head is up above the rest. And even though I don't have a microphone and I'm not on stage, I recognize as a pastor, like I'm technically a worship leader. I'm setting an, ex- an example, for better or for worse, in how I'm worshiping up front. And so I have this little conversation with myself. Okay, Brian, you're a worship leader. You gotta be a good example, and so make sure you're singing. So I'm like trying to sing and focus, but my ADD kicks in a little bit, and then I start to sing, and then I stop to sing, and then I think, you know what? What about my friends out there who don't like to sing? Maybe I could be an example to them too, and make them feel a little better about the fact that they don't wanna use their voices or, or raise their hands. I mean, after all, Ephesians chapter five, it says the singing of psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. It says this, make music from your heart not with your voice, just make music from your heart. And So maybe I'll help my other friends who don't like to sing out loud, feel a little better about their not singing. So I'll just not sing. And I think, well, that probably doesn't look real good either. And so I should probably at least make sure I'm focusing on the lyrics. And so I'll be like, focus. And so then I get that look that y'all had when you are looking at that movie, like, it's like that serious look, like I'm, this is my focused look, like I'm focusing on God. But I'm not just making, I want to focus, so get really focus, be authentic, Brian. Okay, Brian, your mind is all, close your eyes. Just close your eyes so you can focus. You're not worried about everything around you, and so I'll, I'll close my eyes, and I'll just focus, and I'll make people who don't like to sing or express themselves feel better, and they can focus on, you know, the words with their eyes closed and, and worship God in their heart. And I'll sit there, and I'll be sat there with my eyes closed, and I'll be like, Brian, you moron, there's probably standing right in front of you somebody who's been waiting for like 15 seconds to pray and you're just looking at them, but you're not because your eyeballs are closed and, they're, and it's just like, ah. And so I get it. I get, I get this angst, this overthinking the reality of what's taking place in worship and I think about my friend who doesn't want to worship and so believe me, I get it. But I come back to this verse that messes with me that says, yet a time is coming and has now come. We're living in this time when true worshipers I think that's you and me. Will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And that these are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. And so as I thought about that, and I was considering, okay, God, I want to be a I wanna be I want to be a worshiper that you seek. I want to be one who worships you in spirit and in truth. How do I do that? Well, when I was working on this particular message, it happened to be um, this past Tuesday, uh, which was the day after Monday, which I know that's Not new knowledge to any of you. Uh, But uh, the day after Monday, this particular past week, was the day after uh, the final game of the NCAA championship uh, where the University of Virginia topped Texas Tech in overtime for what was there First ever NCAA men's division one title. Uh, so obviously they're going nuts for that, those uh, fans. And then beyond that, what was even sweeter with that is last year in the tournament, uh, UVA was the only number one seeded team uh, to, to get booted in the first round of the tournament. So victory's sweet. They got their first ever championship. And as I'm watching the video clips, uh, the morning after of you know the, uh, the, the fans and the team in Minneapolis celebrating that win, and I'm, you know, they're flashing back uh, to, you know, the alma mater back to Virginia where all the student bodies and the, the gymnasium and they're all going nuts and they're going crazy. I realize that what I am witnessing <laughs> is I am actually witnessing a group of people worship. I'm witnessing people worship in spirit and in truth. That because of the truth, because of the knowledge that their men's basketball team was crowned king over all the other basketball teams uh, in Division I NCAA basketball, because of that truth, they then naturally, out of the overflow of that truth, were able to celebrate and worship in spirit with the raising of their arms and the use of their voices and the taking of selfies or whatever it is that you do to celebrate that your basketball team is the reigning king over all the other basketball teams. And it dawned on me that that's really our biggest challenge when it comes to being in the context of worship and worshiping with spirit. That we, because we forget or miss the truth, of what Jesus has done for us we then have nothing naturally to give attention to worship in spirit and please don't let me think that or let you think that I'm picking on people who don't sing because those of you who are expressive and outgoing and can sing your guts out, you too can sing just as meaninglessly as those of us who don't sing meaninglessly, okay? So no one's off the hook here. But the point is, is that when we settle in, when we give our heart and our attention to the words that are actually being sung, when we consider this story, when we consider that we were separated from God because of our own sin, by our own choosing, that we are separated from him but because of Jesus and nothing we can do on our own to erase us, because of Jesus' work on the cross which we're gonna celebrate all week here and his resurrection to new life we too are forgiven of our sin and given the gift of a new life both here on earth and for all of eternity. It's in that truth and embracing that truth and worshiping that truth, well then that naturally, whether expressive or contemplatively, it doesn't matter, that we will then actually in our hearts worship the king in spirit. And so that's why we worship and that's how we worship, in truth and in spirit. And so let me pray for us as we give thanks to God uh, for the ability and the gift to get to do this. Heavenly Father, We are thankful for the truth of your word um, as uh, revealed in your word that we can see and, and get a hold of all that you have done for us. Uh, and so God, in that truth, we, um, we settle into that. May we be reminded of that by that helper, that advocate, the gift of the Holy Spirit. May it draw to our minds and our hearts on a regular basis, all that we have to be grateful for, especially when we're in this setting, so that we could then naturally, not with any kind of contrived uh, worrying about what other people are thinking or what's going on around us, but just simply out of gratitude and thankfulness for what you've done for us, out of the spirit of that, worship you in spirit because of the truth that you've rescued us, that you've saved us, that you've given us the gift of a new life, both here and forevermore. We praise you for it. Um, And when we don't, forgive us. And where those gaps are, would you help us to fill them in with your truth? In Jesus' name, amen.